It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Good morning to you. Thanks so much for listening. Scott Foster here with you as we take a preview of uh, the things we have coming for you in the next couple hours. Lots and lots of things going on as uh, we get into the heat, the dog days of the summer, as you will. And uh, so that means that people are getting ready as we get a little closer to different seasons and stuff like that. And because of that, Susan Littlefield is very, very busy. Here she is. Hey, thanks, Scott. Yeah, it's a busy, crazy day for everybody in the Farm Department. We've got two in Washington, D.C. at Corn Congress. Chad is at the Dairy Experience in Minnesota. Clay is actually judging a Gray County Fair today. Shaylee's at the Aurora Co-op UNL's event that's talking about farm succession. And I'm at the Northeast Nebraska Swine Conference that's taking place in Norfolk. So what's happening on the midday for us today? We'll find out more crop conditions from BASF. That, of course, comes up at 1219. Chabella Guzman brings us up to date on some stuff that's being done with Monarchs. That'll be at 1245. And then Dave Schroeder steps in at 117 to talk about Twin Rivers Public Health Department and flood cleanup. Of course, it is definitely going to be a hot one the next couple of days, encouraging everybody to stay uh, hydrated. So busy Wednesday from the farm team. Absolutely. Sounds like it. Thank you so much, Susan, and uh, good uh, good travels for everyone all over the place. We come to Brandon Bennett's now sitting in for Jason as Jason is taken off to Chicago. He will be at uh, Big Ten Media Days, and one of the focuses, no doubt, on at Big Ten Media Days will be Husker sophomore quarterback Adrian Martinez. But you said it wrong. You have to say it Chicago. I don't. You have to put I that really eh in it. It's no. like Dakota. You can't just say South Dakota. You have to put Dakota in there. Okay. You don't have to? No, I, I really don't. Neither do, I And have. I don't have to say Minnesota either. See, there you, see, you're so natural at it. But yes, Adrian Martinez, after record-breaking freshman year, coming back for a true sophomore year, normally wouldn't be the center of attention, certainly at the Big Ten media days, and especially traditionally in Nebraska, who brings upperclassmen. But in this case, if he's got it, he's got it. Three times posted more than 400 yards of offense, seven times eclipsing the 300, and ends up with almost 3,300 yards of total offense. Also, Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose and announced earlier today the hiring of two veteran collegiate athletic administrators that will join the Huskers senior athletic staff. Now, they just lost one position here recently. Longtime administrator had moved on to other things, and they are replacing that one position with now two positions. Hmm. So I'm sure they'll find the funding somewhere. There's money there somewhere. I would would only imagine. Speaking of money, you're putting some towards the Nebraska danger. You're going to be the next owner. Do you want to break that here? I have other things to put my investments toward. All right. Well, Bob Rogan. Speaking of investments, I know he's putting uh, things together for that. Since you guys were talking, you know, you're putting on your North Dakota accents. I was about ready to say A, but I didn't have time to get it in there. So (laughs) Take off. A. Right now, uh, the markets are down a little bit. The Dow Industrials, NASDAQ, and S&P. Also, home construction is slipping just a little bit. And uh, Kohl's is hiring for back-to-school holidays. Uh, so they must be pretty optimistic about things. That's kind of, well, actually optimistic. That's uh, true. And uh, Apple and Google are marking World Emoji Day by announcing plans to roll out dozens of new emojis. Which brings up the question, do we really need more emojis? I, I'm going to go with yes, since it's uh, National Emoji Day. We'll just, okay, we'll, well, just we'll go, go with that then. <laughs> That's all coming up on Midday. 
Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And joined by Paul Perkins now, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, the main thing we're talking about is heat and lots of that and humidity yes. and humidity. Yes, uh, that's the that's the real. Um, uh, problem is the excess, extra humidity that we're going to be dealing with right now. Uh, currently experiencing dew points in much of the area in the upper 60s to the low 70s. And so that does make it awfully sticky, especially as we head towards those later afternoon hours across the area. And that, of course, re- makes that heat index reading higher and uh, reaching uh, up in the triple digits. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, 100 to 110. Looks like those heat index readings closer to 110 will be course across eastern areas right now we have temperatures into the mid and upper 70s still across much of the northern half of nebraska towards broken bow to albion it points off towards the north and northwest most likely a front uh, dipping a little bit further to the south than earlier anticipated but most of us with temperatures in nebraska in the low and mid 80s but upper 80s to low 90s already over eastern nebraska and all of northern kansas when you team up those dew points on into the upper uh, low 70s for the most part across the area, that is giving us some heat index readings on into the low and mid 90s in much of eastern Nebraska and northern Kansas. Already a triple digit heat index reading of 101 in the Concordia area. Most of west central and central Nebraska currently experiencing those field site readings in the mid to upper 80s. Looks like the Omaha metro is up in the triple digit. Yeah, 103 there also in the Omaha area. Excessive heat warning in effect and heat advisory for central, southwest, and eastern Nebraska, also central and eastern Kansas this afternoon through Friday evening. In Nebraska, this does include areas along and east of a line from O'Neill to Broken Bow, North Platte, and McCook, Kansas. Areas from Oberlin and points to the south and east. Heat and humidity will make it feel like it's 100 to 110. And a couple of notes to remind you that heat-related illnesses may occur from that prolonged exposure exposure to the heat and humidity. The most susceptible, the elderly, very young, and, of course, animals and livestock. If you're working outside, make sure you do take frequent breaks and drink plenty of water. And make sure the pets and livestock have plenty of shade and some water. Now, today through Friday... Sunshine, hot and humid, a ridge of high pressure building north from the southern plains. The highest humidity that leads to the oppressive heat, likely for today and tomorrow. Thunderstorms possible late today through tonight. Storms will fire near a front from northwest to north central Nebraska and then track to the southeast. The main severe threat, some quarter size hill and wind gusts up to about 60. Saturday, not going to be quite as hot with the approach of a cold front. Thunderstorms will be possible with that front's passage for Saturday night and near the front for Sunday night. Cooler than usual temperatures expected behind that front for early next week. The heat does not look like it will reappear in the long-term forecast. So once we get past this weekend, looks to like we're going to be back to more seasonal conditions. Mostly seasonal or near-normal temperatures are predicted for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through July 30th. But keep in mind, in the late half of July, the average daytime high is usually in the upper 80s in central Nebraska with overnight lows on average in the low to mid-60s. It will be drier than normal in Nebraska and Kansas the early half of next week, but near-normal rainfall expected to return by late next week through the 30th. Weather factors driving the markets include an intense multi-day heat wave for the Midwest and favorable conditions over northern crop areas. Heat and high humidity will dominate the central and eastern U.S. through the end of the week. The exception across the northern plains early next week, much cooler and drier air 
will arrive across the plains and Midwest. In the Midwest, the heat wave the next four days will hinder crop development. It turns cooler after that, but limited rain is forecast. Northern Plains crop weather will be favorable for developing crops due to seasonal temperatures and periods of mostly light to moderate rain. The Delta will continue to experience significant flooding due to heavy rain from former tropical storm Barry, which is adding to already high river levels. The good news is that the Delta will be drier and hotter for next week. Major growing areas of France will be dry and very warm to hot through the next week. That will once again be stressful to their developing crops. Well, it's kind of hot all over. Yep, exactly. But once again, the heat and humidity right now, the outlook is for the worst of it to be today and tomorrow, then gradually tapering off for the end of the week. Uh, Friday still on the hot and humid side, but Saturday probably not as bad. And a lot of us looking at experiencing temperatures into the 80s for next week. Get rid of these 90-degree days for a few days at least. We're going to have to get a coat. I yeah, mean, exactly. we're gonna, It's going to feel like 30 out after that. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go check in on your weather? KRVN.com. again this week for our BASF update. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network and this week we get to visit with BASF Technical Market Manager Paula Halbicki and Paula, exciting news for you guys. You just recently got uh, your newest fungicide registered with the EPA. Tell us a little bit more about Ravisol. Absolutely, yes. Very exciting news. So we have uh, recently received EPA registration of our newest active ingredient, Ravisol fungicide. And that active ingredient is going to be found in a number of premixes available for our producers to really uh, enhance their disease control and get the same BASF plant health benefits that they've come to expect from our fungicides. And so in terms of the products that uh, will be most important to your market, um, Revisol fungicide will be found in the brand's Revitec fungicide, which will be the lead offer in soybean, Beltima fungicide, the lead offer in corn, Provisol fungicide, will, which will be uh, in the sugar beet market and potatoes, as well as stevia fungicide for our specialty market. And as you guys looked at developing a new fungicide, what was the driving force behind that decision? Uh, so this new fungicide is actually being registered globally. So lots of need across the uh, entire world, really, for our growers to have these new active ingredients. And from a from a, um, a U.S. perspective, we found incredible efficacy on those diseases that matter most in corn and soybeans. So gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, tar spot, for example, um, frog eye leaf spot and target spot in soybean. And so we wanted to be able to bring these uh, innovative solutions to our growers to continue to elevate their experiences with our fungicide brands. I do think it's important to ask, with this news and your official uh, registration with the EPA, how soon will this be available for growers to utilize? Uh, so actually state registrations are coming in as we speak and so we will have quite a large um, on-farm demonstration sort of trial program called our Revex Seals this season. Uh, so growers can really get experience with the brands this year um, and then sales will be in the 2020 season or for the 2020 season. And then finally, as you guys roll out this new fungicide and growers uh, make considerations not only for this growing season but always looking ahead of course, why should they choose Revisol or why should they maybe consider adding that into their operation? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Revisol fungicide itself, the new active ingredient, is part of the group three class of fungicides, but it's much different from anything that we're used to. 
Um, so these group threes are known for their curative and systemic activity. Uh, what's different about the Revisol active ingredient is that it, it is broader in terms of the, the wide range of crops that it can cover, as well as the wide range of diseases that it covers in those crops. It's longer lasting. So that's something that's quite unique um, to Revisol in this class, because most of these products don't last very long in the plant. And so, you know, I have an example from Nebraska um, from one of our research trials last season, as I said, providing absolutely in, in impeccable control of northern coin leaf blight, but really long-lasting control. Some of the trials that I was in last year, you know, 50 days after application, we were still seeing activity, and you could literally pick out every single Revisol plot in those trials. And so just really unique um, in terms of the benefits that it's bringing from the disease control perspective. And then, of course, combined with our BASF plant health benefits, so you're getting the combination of both disease control as well as stress mitigation to really maximize your yield opportunity and your potential uh, in all conditions. All right. Thank you so much. Visiting again this week with BASF Technical Market Manager Paula Halabicki talking about BASF's newest fungicide just registered with the EPA, Revisol. With this week's BASF Update, I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dewey Nelson inviting you to take a productive visit to KRVN Cattlemen. 100% beef-oriented, KRVN Cattlemen brings you expertise from across the plains in audio and video spotlights featuring industry innovators. Handy Nebraska and Kansas cattle resources, including the inventory, cattle on feed, and slaughter numbers you need, plus hay reports for five states. You'll find a complete directory of upcoming auctions and private treaty sales. Click on the link for KRVN Cattlemen on the right front column of the homepage at krvn.com. Time for us to take a look at sports. In studio with us is Brandon Bennett. And uh, Brandon, take it away. The Big Ten Football Media Day is going on in Chicago, hence the reason I am here. And Jason is in the process of traveling, so he'll bring back kinds of goodies. And uh, hopefully not just the sports stories, maybe some goodies from Chicago as well. It would, it would be nice. You know, to, uh, he'll probably get some sort of media goodie bag. I he could imagine. He could hook us up. You'd think so. You'd think so. You have the starter, and then you have those of us in the bullpen. Right. Bullpen guys need love, too. Right. Yeah. Okay. True sophomore quarterback Adrian Martinez's status as, after the single season of a Husker uniform, making him one of the main attractions tomorrow in Chicago for the aforementioned Big Ten football media days. Usually an event reserved for upperclassmen, or so it has gone at Nebraska. Martinez's play and maturity has earned him such a role as the headliner for the Huskers. A freshman All-American season last year for the Husker quarterback saw him three times post more than 400 yards of offense and seven times eclipsing 300. He completed almost 65% of his passes and had a hand in 25 touchdowns while piling up almost 3,300 yards of offense. The Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose announced earlier today the hiring of two veteran collegiate athletic administrators who will join the Huskers' senior athletic staff, John Johnson and Garrett Classy. They'll each bring experience as Division I athletic directors to the Nebraska staff. Johnson, who previously worked at Moose with Moose at Washington State, he'll serve as senior, ath- senior deputy athletic director and chief of staff. He'll also work closely with Moose in all aspects of the Husker Athletic Administration and direct the department when Moose is out of town on functions. He'll also have a hand in sports supervision of the men's basketball program. Classy has been hired as a Nebraska Senior Deputy Athletic Director for External Operations. That means he'll have oversight of all the Huskers' external units, including development, fundraising, ticket office, marketing, licensing, communications, creative and emerging, and emerging media events, and, of course, Husker Vision. Both Johnson and Classy resume or assume their roles on July 29th. 
The Kansas City Royals clobbered the Chicago White Sox last night 11-0 as Glenn Sparkman pitched a five-hitter for his first career complete game. Whit Merrifield and Hunter Dozier both had three hits, including a home run in Kansas City's fourth win in five games since the All-Star break. Merrifield raced to an inside-the-park homer down the right field line in the fourth inning after Cam Gallagher doubled. That was, of course, after he was called out at the plate. And then the official review, thank you to MLB for getting with the times. Getting the correct call took about 45 seconds for New York to overturn that one. That was a no-brainer there. Alex Dickerson had a career-best four hits, including the go-ahead RBI single, while the Giants scored four in the 10th to beat the Colorado Rockies 8-4 yesterday. Mike Yastrzemski, homer, doubled and had three RBIs in San Francisco's fourth straight win. Trevor Story and Ian Desmond homered for the Rockies, who erased a 4-1 lead in the ninth before losing in the tenth time in the last 12 games. Speaking of losing, we will not spend time here at this venue to talk about how the San Diego Padres did on yesterday. Wise, wise. Yeah. Roy McElroy wants to treat this week just like any other British Open, but he knows better. The 148th British Open is the first in his native Northern Ireland in 68 years. And McElroy is the, betting, is, is the betting favorite, according to multiple outlets, including Las Vegas, to capture the Claret Jug and end his five-year drought in the majors. Something I was I had to check while you were reading one, that Mike Ustrzemski is Carl Ustrzemski's grandson. I figured if you yeah. have a name like that, you've got to be related. It's like Bennett's. Yeah. If your name is B-E-N-I-T-Z, it's spelled the same. You and I are related yep. somehow. Right. That In a name like that. I figured Yastrzemski, he's got to be somewhere in the family tree. And he had to play, uh, he just had to play baseball. There was just, he really had no choice. In Imagine the how cool it would be if he makes his way to Boston. That'd be very cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Thank you so much, Brandon. Time for us to take a look at uh, news in our region and Dave Schroeder in studio now. Dave, it's always interesting to see how uh, companies and groups and, and whatever deal with floods. Yes. And uh, it was interesting for me to talk to Devin Brendage this morning about how Central pow- Public Power dealt with all of the water that inundated the reservoirs. So. Absolutely. If there's anyone that deals with water, it's Central Nebraska right. Public Power and Irrigation District. Well, the floods that did hit Central Nebraska last week affected infrastructure around the area. However, Devin Brundage, the general manager of Central Nebraska Public Power and Irrigation District, says that the recovery came quickly for his organization. Actually, we, we came through the flood event uh, in very, very good shape. Uh, our crews and our, our uh, hydraulic engineers did a fabulous job. They were out late into the evening making decisions, uh, trying to cut some water out of the system. To Water elevations got up there a little bit. Uh, Johnson Lake, I think, topped out nearly a foot above what our normal, normal elevation would be. But the system in general did a great job, and we had the elevations of the lakes back to normal, I think, within a couple days. Brundage says that Midway Lake was especially hit with high water. However, they were able to draw it down quickly. Nebraska Sorghum Producers Association Executive Director Nate Bloom talks about his group working with Nebraska Department of Veterans Affairs and Humanities Nebraska to gather life stories from the state's veterans. This is a first-of-its-kind partnership between a producers association and the Department of Veterans Affairs and Humanities Nebraska. And we are excited to be the tip of the spear in that regard in serving and and recording these histories for the Library of Congress Veterans History Project. 
The new volunteer initiative is called Sorghum Cares, Preserving Our Heritage, Building Our Future. A Shadron chiropractor and a former Shadron High School track standout have won top honors in the World Championship Buffalo Chip Throw Contest during the 43rd Annual Fur Trade Day celebration in Shadron. Radio station KCSR reports that 35-year-old Eric Landon won the men's title Saturday by tossing a piece of dried buffalo dung nearly 146 feet. Winning the women's overall and 18 and over titles was recently graduated Shadron High School track standout True Thorne with a throw of a little over 107 feet. And Scott, I wonder why outstanding track standouts do so well in this competition. Uh, well, you know, you got to be a pure athlete to throw a <laughs> buffalo chip. You know, it's not so much the actual event. It's all the practice that has to take place. I and, can uh, imagine, yes. <laughs> wow. I, there's, there's no words at this point. Wow. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. You're welcome. The monarch butterfly was petitioned to be listed to the endangered species list at the end of June this year, but the date has been pushed back to December 2020. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. The process to list any species on the endangered list can be a long and complicated process. Georgia Parham, public affairs specialist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, gives us an idea of how the process is going and why the date was pushed back. We have been working on a status assessment for the monarch uh, since about um, 2016. And a status assessment is, is a process that we go through when we're evaluating species for possible listing, and that kind of gives us a scientific foundation for decisions that we may make later on as far as listing or recovery or, or other activities that are related to the species. The status assessment is fairly complex as the monarch travels across the continental U.S. and has a complex life history. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service thought they would be able to make the assessment in 12 months, but in February received information from Mexico, which made them want to push the date out. So a good way to um, count those populations is to count the wintering populations in Mexico. So that's a really important census that's done every year. And we were hoping to get uh, another year of census information. We had just gotten one that indicated that, that uh, some of the numbers were up. Um, our extension uh, request cited the fact that we would like to see if this is an ongoing trend or if it's just an anomaly or, you know, something that we could count on to continue to happen as we assess the status of the monarch. So it was a really important piece of information that we would hope to get in this coming wintering season. Chip Schilling, Sustainability Strategy Manager with BASF, says last spring the weather was perfect for monarchs, which could have resulted in the increase in numbers. So it, it allowed monarchs to come out of, of um, their overwintering, come into southern Texas, and then they didn't move north as fast as they typically might. So they allowed their generations to kind of build. So some folks think that weather really had a, a large impact for why monarch populations were so healthy. Uh, at the end of the year and over winter in 2018. While last year was great weather for monarchs, this year has seen more cool temperatures, rain, and late emergence of plants. Schilling says it's still too early to know how this would have affected the monarchs, and they will have to take a look at the migration in the fall. When the monarchs start to migrate south again in the fall, uh, are we seeing the same numbers? Really the only great way to understand what the populations look like and the only consistent way 
uh, to understand what the populations are. Are those overwintering counts? So it's a little too early to tell uh, how that weather might have affected this year's uh, population. You know, the hope for us is that there is enough habitat for the monarchs to lay their eggs, enough food sources both for the adults as well as the larvae uh, before they head back, head back south for the winter again this fall. Schilling says whether or not the monarchs are added to the endangered list BASF will continue conservation practices. Ultimately, biodiversity uh, is something that we're committed to. So uh, we've been committed to the monarch challenge now for three years. Uh, this isn't something that a decision is made and, and you know, will change our habits. Uh, we'll continue to talk about the role conservation can play, the role uh, voluntary efforts can play directly to support the monarch or other pollinators on and around the farm. So it's important to us as well as be something that we continue to talk about, advocate for with farmers in the farming community. BASF and other organizations are working hard to save the monarch, and those efforts will play into the decision of listing the butterfly, as Parham explains. Well, I think uh, a lot of people are are working for monarchs, and and we want to make sure that we uh, kind of keep track of that, uh, those efforts to conserve monarchs, because that factors into how we make a a listing decision. If there are uh, mechanisms in place that are already protected or that are, are meeting its needs, um, that may be a factor in whether we decide to propose it or not. So one of the things we've done is um, we've initiated a, a monarch conservation database, and, and virtually anyone, you know, from a, from a university or a city or, or a county that's doing monarch um, habitat uh, work can enter their efforts into this database. And obviously the, the, the larger the efforts and the more um, conservation that's undertaken for the monarch, um, the better for the species and possibly the less need there would be to protect it under the Endangered Species Act. So it's a pretty important element of, of what we're doing is, is looking at what's out there. Obviously, we're looking at threats, and, and again, those, those are um, challenges. Uh, adults um, feed on nectar plants, so nectar resources for adult butterflies are, are very important to their life cycle, and conversely, the caterpillars eat only milkweed. So milkweed stems are, you know, we're trying to assess the number of milkweed stems. Is there enough to sustain a population in the foreseeable future? You know, all those kinds of things are very complex. They're doing modeling, population modeling into the future to see how the threats are going to affect, you know, projected populations. And um, it's, as I said, it's it's quite a a daunting challenge um, to, to put together this assessment. While the monarch prepares for its fall travels, both conservationists and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will be watching and making assessments to assist the pollinator in the future. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Time for us to take a look at uh, the markets and financial markets right now. And uh, things down a little bit. Not a lot, but everybody is consistently down as we look at the overnights japan's nikkei index was down 65 the hang Seng in hong kong was down 61 the FTSE in london was down 45 and the german dax index down 89 so all world international markets were down uh major international markets i should say were down in the overnight here in the united states today not a lot better the dow jones industrial average down 40 the nasdaq Index is uh, down three, and the S&P down seven. And we turn it over 
to Bob Brogan, and Bob, the stock's down. Not down a lot, but they are down right now. Definitely down across the board. Uh, a week showing for railroad operator CSX was uh, some of the reason pulling industrial companies broadly lower banks. Also falling as investors worry that lower interest rates will hurt their profits going forward. Technology stocks bucked the downward trend and put up some solid gains. Qualcomm rose 1.4% following reports that the government asked a court to pause enforcement of an antitrust ruling. Here's something that's kind of interesting. Uh, Kohl's is launching an early wave of hiring across 500 stores for back-to-school through the holiday season. And the hiring will kick off in August. It seems like it's too early to be talking about back-to-school, but, uh, you know, Pretty soon, we'll probably be going back to school in uh, May, and uh, who knows? Um, maybe not quite that much. Well, it would really mess up the back-to-school sales. Yeah, it would kind yeah. of, uh, you know. Anyway, the hiring is uh, will kick off in August and include stores and distribution and e-commerce fulfillment centers. The, depor- the department store chain is also hiring 3,000 full-time and part-time workers for all stores nationwide. Home construction slipping last month as an uptick in the building of single-family homes was offset by a big drop in apartment construction. The Commerce Department saying construction was started at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of one and a quarter million in June, down from nine tenths percent, uh, down nine tenths percent from one point twenty-seven million in May. Construction of single-family homes rose three and a half percent, but apartment buildings skidded. 9.4%. So a little bit weaker uh, sh- uh, showing for the uh, stocks today, and so that's kind of falling a little bit. Uh, there's some hearings going on about the uh, airline's Boeing 737. Uh, a lot of questions about that airliner, and uh, that's going on. Congress is asking a lot of questions, and uh, they're trying to get some answers. Well, you mentioned those. I'm looking. I'm looking at the gains, gainers and losers right now. And you mentioned CSX down nine nine percent, but also Norfolk Southern and uh, Union Pacific are both down pretty big time too. So something going on there with the railroads. And you mentioned Cintas, but good news. Hershey Company is up three uh, percent. So apparently, it's a good time to buy candy. That that's something we can sink our teeth into. Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network, and I'm visiting with Jeremy Eschleman. Jeremy is a health director at the Two Rivers Public Health Department, which serves around seven counties in south-central Nebraska. We're talking about uh, the floodwaters have now uh, receded for the most part, but there are still some uh, moisture out there in in homes and so forth. But, Jeremy, give us some tips here with uh, floodwaters receding. What are some people uh, need to keep in mind as far as their health? We've been talking to quite a few interested individuals about flood water recovery and some of the primary uh, things we like to talk about. First and foremost is if you're on, on a farm or on a private well, um, to make sure your well is tested. Uh, there's a lot of things that with the flood water, water going different places, it, if you know for sure your, your well was inundated with water, absolutely get tested. If you don't know for sure, it's, we always recommend to get tested at least once a year anyway. 
And if you have any questions about that, you sure can contact us and we refer you to a certified water lab. And so, Jeremy, also, too, we're in that uh, kind of stage now where floodwaters have receded and people are uh, cleaning up and so forth. And one concern is mold growth. So, Dave, we, we hit a, a lot of uh, calls on mold and preventing mold growth. And so one of the best ways um, to, to keep mold under control and prevent mold growth is to completely dry out any area you can. And so a lot of times we're talking to folks that have uh, basements that got water, sewer, or things like that backed up into there. And so really trying to get rid of the water first and foremost, getting it dried out with a dehumidifier the best you can. Um, if there's been any porous surfaces like drywall or paneling or things of that nature, um, a, a good general guide is if you cut up at least a, a foot or more above where the water level was, uh, that's usually pretty effective. Um, but that usually all has to be removed. There's really no way to save that because those those sort of surfaces tend to absorb water, and that's where we see a lot of mold growth at. So as far as actually uh, disinfecting um, floors, walls, things of that nature, um, one quarter a cup to one cup of bleach, no more than a cup of bleach to a gallon of water, uh, is really effective at just keeping uh, mold spores at bay and preventing those from, from growing. Jeremy, we're also getting into uh, the part of the week that we're going to have some high heat. And uh, tell us about some safety thoughts on this heat and people being outside and so forth. I, I know as Nebraskans, we're all pretty resilient to the change in temperatures. And we like to joke around about, you know, if you, if you don't like the weather, just wait a little bit. It'll change in Nebraska. But uh, we're definitely kind of that point of the year when um, we, we have a high heat index, which means we have a high humidity coupled with high temperatures, which just makes it pretty tough outside uh, right now. So some some things, uh, stay, we like to say stay cool and stay hydrated. So staying cool, um, you know, try to choose uh, light-fitting clothing uh, that are also light-colored. Uh, just it tends to get more air circulation. When you sweat, it actually uh, evaporates quicker uh, and actually makes you feel and uh, keep your body a little cooler. Um, during the peak time of the day, which we're about to that point, you know, 10 o'clock till about 2 or 3 o'clock, if you can, try to stay in, in air conditioning as much as possible. And if, if you don't, you know, fan outside, um, you know, or something like that in the shade a, a great opportunity too. So, and also just you got to keep in mind that you really have to pace yourself. You know, we don't want to be running a marathon or, or, you know, doing things like that this time of the day. It's, it's really tough on your body. Well, I've been visiting with Jeremy Eshlin. He's the health director for Two Rivers Public Health Department based in Holdridge, serving a seven-county area of south-central Nebraska. And I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And today, um, up and down day in the grain markets. And let's talk about it with John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. What did you make of this uh, scenario today? Well, you know, I woke up last night in the middle of the night and saw we were down five on the wheat market. Thought it might be a nasty day as we broke through lows, but uh, really performed early. Not sure why we jumped, but uh, you know, markets kind of did their did their thing in the mid morning session. Is uh, we jumped back up into the mid high four forties and just couldn't hang in. Uh, I think the, maybe looking at the radar here and seeing the the storms kind of march across Iowa like an army uh, maybe scared some of the the, the bulls out. But I, I just don't think this market really has a whole lot of place to go in the short run. East Coast basis is starting to fall a little bit. Um, you know, 
Texas harvest and the, and the early harvest is going to be starting in the next couple of weeks, so the market's going to get a little new crop corn. But really, it's about the August WASD. So you and I, I think we have like maybe 20 sessions between now and then, so we, we better be ready to talk a lot about that because I don't think there's going to be much else. And you can maybe discuss a little bit about the uh, corn basis at the present time. What's that like? Well, it depends on where you are. You, you guys are, it's, it sounds like it's about where you are, but not, not certainly uh, what, what it is out east. Uh, you know, we're 25, 30 over in some parts of Illinois. Um, it's, it, it really is the river. The rivers are, are essentially closed down south, so that's creating some of this, this problems that you're seeing in the export space where we're not having a, a lot of bids. But, um, I, I mean, again, I just don't see what's going to make the market break between now and... You know, early August, and you and I both know that we're going to have a lot of weather problems and a lot of threats. Uh, the satellite data that we got yesterday, this is the second satellite now that had production in the in the mid 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 to like twelve and a half billion bushels. So uh, that that is not something that's going to keep the the bears at bay. I don't think we're going to be able to break this market below four twenty as long as that's being talked about. Um, and really, it's just about demand on the upside. So I, I kind of stand in this mode where you, you got to be prepared to buy breaks down. You know, below 435 into the low 430s, and then probably look to sell corn 460. I know it's maybe a little premature, given what's going to come down the pipe here. I I just think if, if wheat is going to stick around these mid-4 levels, I don't think corn has a lot of hope to, to really get going. And is it very uh, advantageous to try to price any uh, 2020 corn, like December contract, at this well, time? The, that's the easiest thing for any advisor to tell you right now. Sell it, sell it, but mm-hmm. we have a tough crop year, I think you're absolutely an opportunity to price it. So I don't think you need to go out of your way. Maybe get started on something in the mid-420s, but don't go overboard. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to the website, danielsagmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network. And that'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com or anywhere you have your favorite podcasts.